All right, welcome back, everybody. My name is Alex Davis, and this this is the Fault Line Podcast. This is accompanying issue number eight hundred and eighty-six. And joining me today, as always, our esteemed editor Tommy Flanagan. Hello. And my esteemed colleague Rafi Cohen, who uh, is helping me slave away on a rather ginormous spreadsheet on transcoding. Hello. <laughs> so yeah, uh, been a, a busy week, I think, Tommy. Um, we got some some good stuff uh, here. I don't think we want to waste much time diving in. Uh, so uh, do you want to kick us off? Kick us off. Get it? Football. Well, <laughs> yeah. First of all, I just want to say um, sorry that the first. Well, I don't know why I'm saying sorry on on behalf of NAB, but Amplify was a bit of a, a flop this week. So hopefully we'll have a, some better content for you from from the virtual event uh, in the second half of that, which um, which will come next week but I'll, I'll get to that a, a bit later so um this meant that our, our lead story this week uh is something that is very strong on speculation i know Faultline is famous or infamous maybe for speculation but this one's really about joining a lot of dots until we arrived at something potentially very big happening with the enhancement codec lcevc in italy and this all started a few weeks ago when we covered the landmark deal involving the zone the ott sports platform teaming up with telecom italia to acquire Serie A rights for an obscene amount 2.5 billion euros over three years and we approached this news with some trademark fault line skepticism about whether Italy's internet infrastructure can cope with this volume of live sports shifting from DTT to all IP so quickly. And we took the stance before finding out uh, a bit of detail on the, the ministers and the local press in Italy having a bit of a, a meltdown about the whole thing. So that's kind of leaked over. Um, and we've evolved this story a bit by looking at some numbers and the zone recommends that you need a connection of at least eight megabits per second for receiving a single HD stream, which doesn't sound like a lot, right? But um, according to the Netflix ISP index, which is a, a really handy uh, resource, by the way, um, the two joint fastest ISPs in Italy, which are Telecom Italia and FastWeb, only register a real world, world average speed of 3.4 megabits per second. And if you want uh, a UHD stream from DAZN, then you're going to need a connection of at least 30 uh, megabits per second down. But um, data from the EU says that only between 5 and 10% of EU households have sufficient capacity to reliably reliably receive more than 30. So now you're in trouble and you can question the averages and the data collection methods and and stuff like that until the, the cows come home. But the bottom line is that the infrastructure is not up to scratch. But Italy isn't alone here. This is true across the board, including here in the UK. And that's before we factor in things like other devices in the home consuming bandwidth and, and just poor in-home Wi-Fi connectivity in general, which is one of the biggest pain points. And that's nothing to do with the fixed network or the CDN bottleneck. So we got thinking about ways to zone and Telecom Italia could potentially combat this without laying billions of euros of fiber lines overnight. And LCEVC quickly came up as an obvious option for a number of reasons. And the first is that we know Telecom Italia, looking through our archives, has previously integrated Vnova's Perseus compression technology, as it was known before it went on to form the foundations of LCEDC. So that's a no, no-brainer, no really. And another clue is that Telecom Italia is a big user of Harmonic technology today. And we know that Harmonic has kind of U-turned on its previous resistance to Vnova technology and is more than likely going to integrate the LCEVC library at some point. 
into its own um, products as long as the demand from customers is there. So then if we go back to this eight um, meg figure for an HD stream from earlier and apply LCEV's promise of reducing bandwidth by up to 50% in, in some cases on, on any base codec, then we could in theory reduce that requirement to four megabits per second, which effectively doubles the potential reach of the zone's streams and, and could expand reach beyond these fibre to the home um, connections exclusively and start reaching the fibres to the cabinet and the even the VDSL connections as well as improving mobile delivery and reducing the pressures on the unicast traffic on the network backbone and the CDN and then that could mean the difference between tens of millions uh, in revenue essentially so what I've said in the the piece is that waiting for broadband operators to roll out fibre willy-nilly is a mugs game so I believe Telecom Italia is probably exploring LCEVC and if it isn't already testing it with the zone it should probably hurry up and start especially it should be relatively cheap although the the licensing is still being sorted out and saying that it would require several encoding vendors to in integrate the lcvc library which will take a lot of time and effort so again even that's not an overnight fix it's just one potential problem uh, solution to a bigger problem and it's just one of those things that that makes a lot of sense when you look at it this way but it's also something that i think we should remain skeptical skeptical of keeping in mind of course how much of a minefield um the video codec space is and of course nothing's ever this simple unfortunately no even if it's a software only upgrade yeah <laughs> but yeah. but hopefully this will be some some good evidence for how easy that that sort of upgrade processes because uh, there's a lot of points in that sort of delivery chain you need to copy all right sweet thanks very much tommy um albert the office dog has just kicked me again so thank you albert we'll move on now uh, to our next story so rafi tv ratings plunge prompts buck passing between nielsen and networks could you tell us more please yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, no huge surprise that uh, linear TV ratings are going down. And I I think all that's really happened this week is that, uh, tiny, you know, it, people have found out that Nielsen slipped up a bit in one area of their protocol and have essentially jumped on them saying that they've mucked up loads of things when, in actual, you know, they've probably mucked up a bit, but what's really happening is just TV ratings are dropping anyway. Um, essentially, you know, the reason... Well, yeah, essentially, net, uh, ratings are down, and networks are furious and blaming Nielsen. And aside from it just being embarrassing that ratings are lower, uh, you've also got the upfronts coming up, which is really when linear inventory needs to be looking its best and most polished. Um, and so I think networks are just feeling the pressure. Kind of The headline finding was that uh, in 2019, you had 92% of Americans watching their TV set at least once a week. And now we're in 2021, and this is apparently down to 87%. Uh, and a lot of the networks and uh, advertising companies, which are part of the Video Advertising Bureau, are disputing this. They're saying that if you look at other data from set-tops and TV sales, that it shows otherwise, and that Nielsen also doesn't, ratings don't account for all the on-demand content. But, I mean, on, especially on that latter point, it doesn't really matter because that's not what this discussion is about. This discussion is, is purely about the linear inventory, which is what's being sold at the upfronts. Um, and even if you dispute that one figure, there are other signs as well. For instance, um, they reported that primetime viewership on ABC, CBS, NBC and Fox was down 16% last week. And it would have been even more if there wasn't a basketball championship that didn't take place the previous year. So, um, yeah, th things are definitely pointing downwards. Um, and the Video Advertising Bureau has demanded 
some kind of statement slash apology from Nielsen. And Nielsen has basically said no and has claimed full confidence in its abilities. Um, but it, if you kind of look a bit closer to what it's been saying, it has admitted some slack in its protocol due to COVID-19. Uh, there are a lot of accusations that this led to kind of less in-home visits to the various panel households, um, up to at least 10% less, according to some reports. And uh, Nielsen has basically admitted that this was the case, and they've only just resumed these in-home visits as of last month uh, to help maintain the representative measurement panel. So they're clearly saying that it does do something, these in-home visits. And I'm assuming if they can't do these maintenance visits, then they just kind of cross out the house, and it's uh, just redundant until someone is able to go around. Um, and obviously Nielsen is no stranger to weighting data uh, a certain way when they're missing bits. You know, that's the whole nature of their business, but it still certainly makes the foundations look a bit more shaky than people would like. Um, and of course, Nielsen is the industry standard for assessing the value of linear. So with the upfronts coming, just the pressure is really on and the networks are getting <laughs> incredibly uh, angry and stressed. Um, because a lot of the commercials are placed according to previous year's data and, uh, you know, who, if obviously low ratings is bad, but if you're not even sure whether the previous year's data is entirely accurate, then how can you promise advertisers you're providing them the service that they want, essentially? Um, but of course, the TV networks are always bound to cause a fuss. Uh, we've said many times in Faultline and on the podcast, you know, uh, a bit of work that you did, Alex, you found that if churn continues at its current rate, there won't be any pay TV customers left by 2032. And on top of that, you have the content taps running dry. Um, so things aren't really looking good anyway. And as soon as there's a bit of a slip up, it seems like tempers just kind of snapped. Um, and yeah, kind of another another sign of the insecurity is some of the other ridiculous <laughs> accusations that were going on. Uh, I, I read somewhere that some people, uh, apparently some networks were saying that COVID deaths from COVID-19 had skewed the measurement panel figures and I did some very basic napkin maths and only 0.17% of the US population has died of COVID-19 um, and so the chances that enough of them are in Nielsen's 50 to 100,000 panel to actually make a difference is well basically non-existent um, so yeah the fact that anyone was saying that just kind of <laughs> shows how high tempers are running um, and yeah it's, it's kind of looks like this might become a bit of an annual tradition for Nielsen because last year they caused an absolute outrage before the upfronts. They had this uh, new measurement tool planned uh, for out of home, so in hospitality venues, etc. And it was planned to launch in autumn 2020. And then at the 11th hour, just before the upfronts, they said, oh, well, clearly this isn't the year for hospitality. So uh, let's just cancel that till next year, uh, at which point everyone just, you know, lost it because they'd made all their plans based on this new measurement tool. And so basically forced Nielsen to U-turn on his U-turn, uh, I guess as a O-turn. Um, and then, yeah, I guess the only the only hope left really for advertisers is that the U.S. economy bounces back after COVID, uh, which will just and for the networks, but it's just really a temporary relief. Uh, Magna's expecting 2021 see ad sales increase 3.4 percent, which you know sounds good, but also if you consider the huge slump from COVID, really isn't that much at all. Yeah. So, <laughs> case of Nielsen being the whipping boy, and uh, a bit damned if it does, damned if it doesn't. So, uh, yeah, all right, good stuff. Thanks very much, Rafi. Rafi, um, get a bit morbid this week. Yeah, I, I like uh, c calculating a <laughs> death rate among panel members. That's, yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Um, sweet. All right, thanks, Rafi. So we'll we'll jump into uh, my one now. Um, this was uh, 
a refreshing one again. Um, our Roku legal guru reveals guts of company's recent suing streak. And, and the gist here is that uh, Roku has beat a $228 million uh, patent infringement claim from ESW Holdings, um, which has sued it in the Western District of Texas court, um, which is not to be confused with the infamous Eastern District, um, which used to be like the favored sort of uh, spot for patent trolls to kind of lurk in. So um, here we sent an email off uh, to the lawyers involved, and we, we we didn't have high hopes, um, but it was it was it was good to hear that from a uh, Wasif Qureshi, who uh, was was on the case, and, and he explained um quite an interesting one really. Um, when they were doing the discovery for the evidence, um, whether the prosecution and the defense will essentially share what they've got and. You, you get to interrogate people. When when Roku um, was speaking to the uh, defense, no, sorry, the plaintiff's uh, damages expert, um, they went through and they, they had him on the record saying, oh, yeah, it's about nine and a half million dollars, this one. Um, you know, here's our model. Here's how we worked out this number. There you go. So um, Qureshi of, of Jackson Walker is, is you know, walking into the case, getting ready to defend a, a $10 million suit. Uh, and then suddenly ESW turn around and say, nope, it's $228 million now, um, pay up. And I think um, Qureshi would have got a bit a bit sweaty because uh, the, the previous case in the court um, saw uh, Intel get ordered to pay out you know, $2 billion or so dollars um, on, on a claim to what's been described as a zombie firm. Um, this is patents that are about 20 years old, um, which were acquired in, in 2019. So uh, Roku was, was probably understandably worried, um, but it prevailed. Um, it, the, the sort of... Uh, the claims were about five patents, and then three of them sort of got got written out. And of the two that were left, uh, these are relating to the, the Roku developer environment, where it can you know let developers create channels uh, inside the Roku kind of ecosystem, and all of that sort of fell off. And it was a four-day trial, and the jury took about five hours to decide that the ESW didn't really have a claim here. Um, and as a, a bit of a legal um, burn, one of these claims was dismissed with prejudice, which means that they upset uh, Judge Albright. Um, I just I was asking Qureshi for a bit of a background, like who, who this guy was, because um, the Western District, which is up in Waco, um, has got a bit of a reputation for itself now. Um, and Albright is the judge. He's got a background in in patent and intellectual property claims um, here. And we just wanted to check. We were asking, you know, does, does he get bonuses on, on the size of these cases that he brings into his court? Um, is, is he only specializing in in these sorts of cases? And Kreshi was explaining, no, his salary's fixed. And, you know, they've still got the regular court workload that they would expect to see. But sort of Albright, Albright set up shop about two and a half years ago. Um, and this is the third of the big cases to sort of come to the fore because there's been this big delay through COVID. Um, so Roku was actually uh, one of the first cases um, and was was successful there against MV3 partners. And then Intel lost to VLSI. And that was that $2 billion case. And now Roku's um, won this one. So what we were just wondering is whether the, the Western District becomes a new hotspot. Um, we were likening it to that $2 billion payout. Does that show that Albright is not actually that favorable to uh, the plaintiffs and therefore uh, a lot of them sort of back off um, or is the fact that $2 billion got paid out, is that like knocking your chum bucket in the water uh, and the sharks will turn up and, 
and I have your fingers. So yeah, it was it was quite an interesting case, and and Roku um, wasted no time celebrating by filing a, another patent case uh, against Universal Electronics, um, which makes a remote control. It's got quite a cool smart home um, uh, ecosystem as well. So that that case is kind of an extension of a, an existing ITC claim uh, that the pair have. So that's that's ticking along. Uh, so yeah, been been a fairly busy busy week for Roku. So yeah, thanks very much to uh, Wasif Qureshi from Jackson Walker. It was pretty, it was pretty uh, yeah, it was a nice turn of events that one. So that's it for the long form. We're going to head now into the worth noting section. And as is tradition, Rafi, five years ago today, what was happening? Uh, the European Commission uh, slapped Google with an antitrust complaint. This was meant Google was following in the footsteps of IBM, Microsoft, and Intel, and I guess kind of marks the beginning of its what has been a very uh, troubled relationship with regulatory authorities since. Um, it kind of looked like no matter how hard Google fought, uh, it would the European Commission was kind of calling it to end its practice of offering cash incentives to OEMs and operators. Um, you know, and they'd, they'd get certain benefits if they use the Android OS and its apps. Uh, and it would also have to remove blocks from operators that were offering technology from its competitors. Uh, if Google was to violate these conditions, it faced maximum fines of 10% of its revenue, which is around $7.4 billion at the time. And of course, two years later, the European Commission issued Google with a $5 billion fine. And the appeal process is still pending. Yeah, that one's going to rumble along for a long time, um, but it's still pocket change for, for mm. Google. I think five billions—it's naff all for them. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, Tommy, any other highlights? Um, for me, yeah, it was a cool thing. Uh, Spotify has officially entered the hardware space with something. I say cool; it could also be a complete flop at the same time. But it's called Car Thing. Um, and it's uh, expected to retail at $79.99 in the US only for now. It's just a voice-controlled um, device, obviously, because it's, because it's for a car. It comes with a, a four-inch touchscreen, um, but the caveat is that it will only work with Spotify premium accounts, so that's uh, that's quite a big move, I think, this week. Yeah, and they've partnered in the past with um, Google to give out devices. Um, so, yeah, actually going and, and making their own one is... A, a bit mm. of a departure yeah sweet um i just want to point people to nvidia's first cpu um it's targeted at the data center obviously it's got a bunch of ai leanings uh, arm based of course they're still trying to buy arm um and it's got a couple of customers however it's it's going to arrive in like 2023 so it's a while away but that's no. nvidia doing cpus while buying arm i'm sure <laughs> intel would be a bit concerned uh but yeah right sweet Thanks very much, gents. We've reached the end of fault line 886. Uh, Tommy, I know we've got NAB Amplify. Anything else lined up? Yeah, we are absolutely swamped with um, various sessions next week. But I've got a feeling that NAB Amplify is not going to be the highlight because we've got the uh, rival Harmonic Live Summit lined up next week as well, which I think is going to trumpet, to be honest. There's some some great things um, lined up there. And I think that would... Um, that would fit mostly with our observations over the past year about the vendor community putting on better events than the events companies themselves. But we'll we'll find out. Yeah, up, up to NAB to prove us wrong, I think. All right, there we go. Thanks very much, guys. Um, yeah, if you want to check out Faultline, head to rethinkresearch.biz. We've got four-week free trials to that. You can also take a look at the Rethink TV research service. You can find us on the usual social media hangouts. And if you could, please leave us a review. 
on, on your podcasting app of choice, maybe tell a friend, share it around. Uh, and with that, that's the end of it, I think. I'll see you all next week. Cheers. See ya.